0: Okay, if you guys need a Bible, we're going to pass out some Bibles, okay? So get your hands up. It's always a little awkward at first, but get a free Bible. If you don't own a Bible, it's our free gift to you. Please just take this one, uh, read it. If you have a friend that wants one, take it and give it to a friend, that whole deal. If you just forgot yours today, take one, leave it on your way out, okay? Um, Turn to Acts chapter 8 if you have your Bible or your phone or your iPad or some other thing that gives you the Word. Acts chapter 8. Now as we go, let me do a little bit of recap on Friday, from Friday. Okay, because um, here's what I find interesting about Easter weekend. We live in 2014, and so about, jeez, uh, 1980-something years ago, give or take, right, that there was this man named Jesus that lived a perfect life, went to a cross, died, and that what we, that's what we remembered on Friday. And for us sitting in 2014, Friday, although we tried to convey as much as we could, the weight of Friday, the weight of the fact that it was our sin that extinguished the light of the world, we knew Sunday was coming, right? So, so as, as hard as we tried to make Friday, and remember, man, it's our sin that put him there, we knew Sunday was coming. We knew our Savior was to rise. We knew that there would be victory by Christ on the cross, or coming out of the tomb, right? We knew the tomb was empty. But I want us to just think about for a minute. I want us to think about for a minute, what must it have been like for the early church? What must it have been like for the early followers of Jesus that had walked with this guy for a few years as he walked around teaching and preaching and sharing the good news of the kingdom? As he goes and does these things, I mean, you can just imagine All those disciples, all those followers, all this hope in this one guy who promises all of these things and then they're staring at him on a cross being crucified. And you imagine the moment where he breathes his last saying, it is finished. You imagine the people, the disciples thinking, oh my God, it is finished. Our hope is gone. Our hope is dead. Everything we thought was about to happen isn't going to happen. And I couldn't imagine what those next 72 hours must have been like for the earliest followers of Jesus. For them to just wonder for those hours, what was to happen? Jesus said all of these things, but man, it it doesn't seem like it's going to work out for us so I, I want to put us in that, that state, as a, just for a moment, just to kind of dwell on the depth of what Christ accomplished on Friday, that we might have a greater appreciation of what it means for us to celebrate on Sunday. Christ was dead. Today he is risen. Amen? Amen. This is good news for the people of God. Now, um, Jesus himself in John 16 and, and throughout the Bible is always predicting his resurrection. It wasn't an even, I mean, you go Old Testament, it was all there for the disciples, but they missed it because they had their own preconceptions uh, of what this was going to look like with Christ as the king and overthrowing Rome and all these different things, right? So um, uh, in John 16, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will will turn into joy, right? That your sorrow from Friday will become joy on Sunday. And this is Christ, and this is going to happen. This is coming. This is coming. Wait for it. And so today we celebrate because our sorrow from Friday has become joy today. Right? It's become joy for us today who know and love Jesus, who experience the new life that is given through his resurrection, so what I want to do today is because, I mean, a lot of us have been in this service before, right? A lot of us have been to an Easter service before, and maybe not everyone. Maybe there's some visitors first time. Great. Welcome. We love having you here. But a lot of us have heard the story, right, that, that Jesus died on Friday. Three days later, he rose, right, that the women ran to the tomb, right? They go to the tomb to anoint his body. They get there, and the stone has been rolled away. And there's a couple angels sitting there and say, man, who are you looking for? He's, he's not here. He's gone, right? He's risen. And so these women run back, tell the rest of the disciples, hey, we went and the dude was gone. Like, I swear, right? You imagine they run back, you're like, come on. He was there. No, he wasn't there. The body was missing. The Savior had rose, just like he said he would. We've heard that. We know that story. Another way we could go today is by going, okay, let's, let's really break down every evidence we have for the resurrection. And listen, it is abundant. If you're here, and, and listen, you don't love Christ, you came, you got dragged here. Someone actually said, listen, I'll, I'll buy you free lunch if you come to church today, okay? Good work, Christian. Um, <laughs> if that's your story, great. There is an abundance of, of evidence for the resurrection. But I just want to focus on one piece today. Because the greatest evidence for me, and a lot of you know my story, but I got saved at 18. Right when I got to college, I become a Christian, and one of the greatest evidences for me for the resurrection was the fact that I could look around, and I would read the Bible, and I would look through history, and would see millions and millions and millions of stories that did not make sense if the resurrection never happened. That made absolutely no sense unless this man who claimed to be God actually rose. Because if he was just still a dead prophet, man, I don't see how all of this powerful working begins to happen. Why does a church that solely That its sole purpose is to serve and love and know and follow this man. If he were dead, man, that religion would die like that. But something happens. We see transformation in so. Peter, right? If you look at Peter throughout the New Testament before the resurrection, if you read the Gospels, Peter was shy, was afraid of persecution, afraid of suffering, denied Christ three times, And then you read 1 Peter, and you read the book of Acts, and you see a radically different man. You see a man who in 1 Peter says, no, rejoice in your suffering. Rejoice because it's refining you to be more like Jesus. What happened to Peter? The resurrection. He saw Christ risen. Risen. All of his hope secured in the fact that Christ was not dead. He was alive and the power of God now working through him. And on and on and on. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at this one story today. Just one from Acts chapter 8 starting in verse 26. One last thing before we jump into the text. There might be many of you here in the room, right, that you're, you're on the other side of the whole belief spectrum right? Uh, you, you have some doubts about Jesus, about the resurrection, about why we gather, why we sing, why we do all of this. And I, and I get that. But here's the thing. Oftentimes, that is a reflection not of Jesus, but of his church. And, and I just want to say this in this moment. Sorry right? We oftentimes do kind of not a great job reflecting Jesus, and so what you often see then is not Jesus and his story, but you see our messed up, jacked up stories without realizing that we see ourselves as dependent on Christ as we think you need to be. And I get it, because this week, just this week, and this is Holy Week, right? So everyone should not sin this week. Um, During Holy Week, I'm driving, was cut off twice by two different cars and flipped off by two different cars, both with Jesus fish on the back. Okay? Yeah, that bad, right? Jesus fish on the back, middle finger. Okay? <laughs> and I thought to myself, ah, geez, Holy Week, people sinning. <laughs> right? And then I was just like, man. How often? And, and here's the truth. I then I started thinking about myself, my own road rage, and very will attest to this. I get just crazy in the car, and I and it's, I drive a Hyundai Accent that's from like 2004, and the horn sounds like the Roadrunner meet me. like guess a me, you know, and so it's just like not intimidating at all. Uh, but I but I get it. And so I, I say i say this: if you're here and, and you're just you're questioning this whole deal again, you got invited by a friend, your neighbor, whatever it is, welcome. Um, judge this story based on Jesus and for a moment suspend kind of your your negative thoughts about us because they're abundant, and the more you're here, the more you're going to find it, okay, if we're honest, okay? And so as we do that, let's pursue that story. And so here we go. Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. I love that the Bible just throws in random details like that. That Okay, great, it's a desert place, fantastic. Um, and so rise and go to Phoenix, right? So go to that road, um, go to that road, and, and, and there's no other reason. Right? Like, there's, there's no other reason, right? So this angel shows up, Philip, who's one of the seven deacons appointed in, the early, in, in Acts chapter 6 to go and care for the orphans and widows of the church. Okay, that, that guy, Philip, is, I don't know what he's doing, but he's eating a sandwich, right? He's at Sprouts, and so he's just there, um, and then all of a sudden the angel comes in, and my guess is kind of descends on him. I don't know if they have, whatever, they're doing this, and, he's, and he says to him, go to this road, and I'm not going to tell you why, just go. And so, what does he do? Verse 27. And he rose and went, right? Um, If an angel did that to me, I'd probably go too. Okay, so, and he rose and went. And here we go. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Okay. Excuse me. So we get our second character. We have our second character. We have Philip. Okay, so the angel sends Philip. He goes to this road, and then he, he sees this Ethiopian eunuch. And, and we get a lot of details about this guy. I want to get into that in just a moment about why the Bible gives us kind of some more of these details. Um, but we, we've, got, we've got Philip, and we have the Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, and and I'll just, here, spoiler alert, right? So, Philip, um, for us today, here's what I'd like for us to do as we continue to go through the text. If you're here, and and, and, and Jesus is your Savior, you're a Christian, you love God, that's you, that's your story, you've been saved, right? Use the language. If that's your story, I want you to kind of look through the lens of Philip for the rest of our story, right? You're Philip. I want you to kind of live in, what does Philip do? How does he engage? How does he love? How does he witness? The whole deal. And then, if you're here and you're just still asking questions, and, and, and you don't know what to believe, or maybe you're even just like completely opposed, and again, you couldn't deny free Diablo burger, whatever it was, okay, um, I want you to align yourself up with, with the Ethiopian eunuch, okay? And, and, and so sorry that, you know, the ones that don't believe in God have to be the eunuch, but I'm just saying, uh, if you're a Christian here, Philip, if, if you're not, uh, Ethiopian eunuch, uh, look through look through that lens. So uh, coming back to this, this, uh, this passage, these this couple verses, they give us some background on this guy. Right? They give us some background. They say a few things. First, he's, he's Ethiopian, right? So he's from Africa, meaning he's um, of a different race in a different place. So he's not home, he's a nomad, he's a sojourner, he doesn't necessarily belong there, and he looks differently from everyone else, right? A bit of an outsider in that sense. Then secondly, he's a eunuch, and so if you don't know what a eunuch is, that was just a, this man was castrated at some point in his life, no longer has male genitals, right? And so oftentimes, these people, as we'll see in the next one, serve in the royal courts of different leaders within different nations. And so that was this man's role, so we saw him a bit kind of uh, set to the side and, and by cultural values a bit different from everyone, a different race from the region, set aside, different, apart, the whole deal. And yet in the midst of it, he still has this, this kind of high role, this, this influence that culture says, okay, even in the midst of your difference, like y- you're still going to hold this office in this kingdom. And so he's given, he's given some authority in the midst of that. Okay? And then the last thing that we find out about the Ethiopian eunuch is that he was a worshiper of God. Now, again, I just told you, right? I just said that if you're here and you don't love Jesus, you don't believe the gospel, that you're the Ethiopian eunuch. But you're like, well, that guy's a worshiper of God. I wouldn't go that far. Let me clarify. So the words that's being used here, okay, is, is more a term of what they would have known back then as a God-fearer. A God-fearer. This was a non-Jew or Gentile, a Gentile man or woman who aligned themselves with some parts of Judaism, but were not Jewish and did not believe in in the one true God and did not align themselves with every aspect of worship of the one true God. They were a God-fearer. And so they said, okay, there's certain things about Judaism, about what you're doing, that I buy into. I believe that there's, there's probably this God. And so based on either fear or me wanting to please him or whatever that might be, I'm going to go and I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to worship, and to appease him. Or you would find other God-fearers that would still be kind of more polytheistic, but even in the midst of that polytheism, really aligned themselves with the morality that came along with the Judeo-values. Okay, And so that was who this man is. Not a believer in Jesus, not even a believer in the one true God from the Old Testament that the Jews believed in. And so that is who he is. Now, again, why, why so much about this guy? Uh, why, and why do I even spend that? When I look at this guy, I literally see the average person in our country. Right? I, I see the embodiment, really, of America. The average human, person, man, woman in our nation, people in this room, listen, wildly diverse, different races from different places, different identities, different roles and occupations, different levels of status and value. And yet one of the things that I find that we all have in common is that all of us at some level, and I come across right a lot of different people, we have those conversations, it seems like I always get down, there's not a person I have met with, and this is even, listen, the staunch atheist, the one who will battle me and battle me and battle me about the existence of a God that will still align himself in many ways with so many of the values that we find in this book. God fear. I feel like this term crosses over very well as to who the majority of our culture is, believer and non. Okay. And and so as we go through this story, again, if you're here, not a believer, right, this is your story. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, right? I I mean, I just, I love the eunuch in this passage because he just throws up a softball for Philip. Right? So if any of you have ever, like, okay, you're going to dare to talk to your friend about the gospel, you usually are very awkward about it. Right? And I'm usually very awkward about it. So you're sitting down, you're like watching a football game, and you're just watching the TV, and then you go, Do you want to know Jesus? I mean, it's like, usually, it's this, oh, if you're like freak out, you're sweating, you don't say, and then just what falls out is just dumb. Okay? And so, um, what I love about the eunuch here is he's, he's there reading the Bible, which he doesn't even really understand at that point, point. and then Philip walks up and says, do you understand that? And he's like, no, will you tell me? <laughs> What's this about? Come on up, share the gospel. Listen, if you're here and you're not a Christian, please do more of that, okay? It makes it way less awkward for us, and for you, Okay? And so I love that about him, and so he's going to come up. And listen, here's the truth. Sometimes, though, it's not this simple. It's not this simple. Uh, And so here, for, for us, right, who love Jesus, who are Christians, as we pursue the gospel, as we pursue what it means to live resurrected lives in light of the resurrection, they must be so embedded in mission and in the gospel bringing to our culture in talking to neighbors, talking to friends, talking to the city, talking to your barista, talking to people about the good news that Jesus Christ is risen. Sometimes it's not a softball like this, though, and yet we still are to be obedient as we bring the gospel to the nations. I was thinking about stories. And when I first got saved, right, at 18, I'm at San Diego State, uh, and Drew went there with me. Corey was there with me. And we were at school, and we used to do this thing where we'd go out on the boardwalk, and we would go out downtown, and we'd just kind of do some sharing our faith and stuff like that. And I'm just crazy zealous, and so I'm running, and I'm just knocking on doors and screaming at people, just being, you know, a general jerk. And um, we're walking through downtown, and I'm talking to different people, and it's just like, man, nothing's happening, you know. And I'm like, ah, what, you know, I'm failing or whatever, and just putting that on myself, which was dumb anyway. But um, we're walking past this car, and I see this guy sitting in his truck, just a little, you know, like a two-door little pickup truck, right in the parking lot across from one of our favorite restaurants downtown. And I walk up to his window, and I don't know why, but I just decided, hey, let's bug this guy. I'm going to knock on his window. And so I knock on this dude's window. And he rolls it down, and there is plumes of smoke, right? I mean, just billowing from this thing. And I'm like, oh, this, I wonder what he's doing in there. <laughs> and then I have a nose, so I figured it out pretty quick. And, uh, and so he rolls down the window, I say, hey man, how you doing tonight? Uh, do you want to know Jesus? <laughs> right, this is super awkward. And he says, not really, um, but we can talk, or something like that. It's like, hey, well, we mind if we hang out for a little bit? We're just downtown. He says, sure. So he's just sitting in his car talking to him. And and we begin to kind of just ask him some questions about his life, right? We begin just to say, hey, man, like, so what's your story? What are you about? What do you believe in? What's all this about? Um, And and it's crazy because you begin to see his demeanor go from just kind of like pretty harsh, you're crazy, to, yeah, no, I can kind of see a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Long story short. He says, "Hey man, can I can I actually step out of the car and talk to you about this?" And I was like, "Sweet, this guy's going to shank me." And um, and so he gets he gets out of the car and we begin to talk and he begins to just ask really just direct questions just like this. I mean, completely opposite of the demeanor that he had. About 5 minutes later, guy gives his gives his life to the Lord, right? Places faith in Jesus, walks back into his car, well, gets back into his car grabs um, his pipe and, I mean, like a good amount of the green stuff and throws it in the trash can, okay? Throws it in the trash can. Then he was waiting for a friend to come and be done with work. And so that friend finally is done with work, comes out, meets us, we're talking. This new guy, this guy that I just talked to that just placed faith in Jesus begins to share with his friend and his friend does the same thing. And then the three of us are now, it was actually, I was with a guy, so the four of us are now there in downtown San Diego praying together that God would get them plugged in, grow them, and then they came to church with us the following Sunday, and were there until I left and moved to, Phoenix, or moved to Orlando. Okay. Now, I bring that story up for this purpose alone. We as Christians, if you're here and that's your story, Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we are without excuse in bringing the gospel to the world. Christ has risen and given new life, not that we would just sit in our new life and do nothing with it, but that we would go to the nations and say, here it is, it's for you as well. The resurrection must move the church to mission. Just like the resurrection moves the non-Christian back to God. Moves the eunuch back to God. And God will do it in crazy ways and sometimes in very obvious ways where someone's going to come up to you and say, hey man, I was just reading John the other day. What's this Jesus guy about? And you'll just go. Okay, that'll happen. Pray for those opportunities. Okay, pray for those opportunities. Okay. Let's keep going. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And so he goes back to Isaiah. Uh, No, did we skip that? I skipped it, didn't I? Yep. Verse 32, going back. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does a prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? So again, hey, tell me more. Tell me more. I want to know. And so he's reading Isaiah 53, which is one of the most celebrated prophecies and texts in the entire Bible as it prophesies and talks about what will happen to Jesus, the Savior of the world on the cross. That he will bear the iniquities of all man on his shoulders, and when he dies, that sin will die with him. As we place faith in Christ, his perfection is given to us. Christ who lived a perfect life for all of his years dies a death and so when he goes he can be that perfect sacrifice for us taking all the sin of mankind placed on his shoulders so that when we place faith in him we too are forgiven. And so that's what he shares in verse 35. I jumped ahead just because it made sense but let's read 35 again. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So he reinforces the good news about Jesus through Isaiah 53. So imagine the guy's reading Isaiah 53, has all these prophecies about what this guy was about to do, okay? And he says, he did it, right? It happened. He fulfilled it. I was there. The cross happened. He died. And then I imagine he told him about the resurrection. I imagine that he didn't stop at the cross. Right? That he didn't just say, hey, man, all that good stuff that you just read, that we just talked about, the good news about the coming Savior, he's not dead anymore. That he died on Friday, but he raised on Sunday, that we celebrate the fact that we serve a living God. I guarantee you that news would have rocked this guy's world. That this guy, Philip, was bold and just said, "Man, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for you, and it has been confirmed. It has been secured in the fact that he rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus not just sends the mission, not just sends God God's people on mission, but it invites those outside in to become part of that same family." He shares with them that he can have new life, right? Inclusion in God's family that knows no border. Love from God that knows no condition. Forgiveness by God that knows no end. And future hope in God that he prepares a place that knows no limitation. That's what he's doing. Inviting him into that. Okay? So, um, verse 36. What does he do with this information? What would I ask that we do with this information this morning? And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. Brilliant guy. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So here's what happens the guy hears the gospel, he hears the good news of Christ's life, his death and his resurrection, his invitation into hope that knows no end, into a relationship with God where it was once broken, brought back in a family, and he says, amen. I believe that must certainly be true. If, 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 if this guy said all those things and then accomplished them and then rose from the dead, yeah, amen. And so as he's putting faith and placing faith in Jesus, they're riding along in this chariot, and of course, there happens to be some water. What keeps me from being baptized? What keeps me from being baptized? He asked to Philip. He asked of himself. And I just begin to think about his story that he had no desire for this. That he was just going to the temple, was going to do his deal, was going to go home and never think about it again until the next visit. He was going to pop into church on a random Sunday because someone told him to go, because he thought that was the right thing, because he thought it's Easter and so I should be there. And then he had an encounter with Jesus. And his life becomes radically flipped upside down. And all of a sudden, this guy who had zero plans to love God, zero plans to believe in Jesus, zero plans to be baptized, finds himself now asking, can you baptize me right now? And Philip does. He's like, man, let's do it. Let's baptize you. And they come down off the chariot. And this man who had zero plans to know God had his life interrupted by the truth and the power of the gospel, gave his life to Christ, and was baptized that day. Because it was that time. It was time for him. I mean, this has just got God's hand written all over it. Every part of this, right? Hey, go to that road. Okay, go to that road, and I'm not going to tell you why, just go. And then he gets there, and he sees this guy reading the book of Isaiah that invites him to share the gospel with him and he does, and then all of a sudden, hey, there's water. My question for you today, okay, my question for you today, what keeps you from being baptized? Why would you not, okay, disclaimer one, do you believe in Jesus? Do you see what he has done on the cross, accomplished, do you believe his resurrection? If the answer is yes, there is no other excuse. Let me be clear. Baptism does not save you. Faith in Jesus saves you, okay? But baptism is all over the Bible. You believe you're getting baptized. You believe we're dunking you. You believe it's time. Change your clothes, okay? If you love Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus for your salvation, and listen, it's time. What prevents you from being baptized today? What prevents you right now from saying, listen, no, I'm in. I believe it. I want there to be an outward representation of an inward reality. God has made me new. God has given me new life. Only possible because he raised to new life on this day that we celebrate Easter Sunday? What keeps you from being baptized? And, and, and I, get, I get in these conversations like, well, I just gotta clean up a few things first before I come to Jesus. Man, that, that's not the gospel. This guy, right, I'm guaranteeing this eunuch, man, he had things, he had some sins, he had some baggage, he had all of that. It was in him, it was on him, that was his life. But God interrupted him and said, It's time. It's time you believe this, place faith in Jesus, get baptized. you're never going to be good enough you're never going to be clean enough, you're never going to get rid of enough sin. It's just not going to happen. Come, believe, and be baptized. Right? Well, you know you, some people might be saying, well, you know i I, I did this kind of when i was when I was much younger. I did it as a kid I got, I got baptized when I was really young, okay. Listen, if you were baptized at an age where you had no idea really what was going on, maybe in the moment you thought, yeah, no, like, I kind of believe this, but then it was never really real for you. It was your parents' faith. It was something like that. And this is for any age. This isn't, listen, this this is, you could be 60 today and have never been baptized because you just assumed that, man, I did it once before, but now here is a moment to proclaim to the world as the eunuch has, I'm in. I'm yours. And because of the resurrection, I'm sent on mission to the world to bring good news to the world. What prevents you from being baptized? Right, some of you might be here and you're saying, you know what, uh, I'm wearing a dress. That's fair. Okay? That, that'd be weird for everyone. Okay? Uh, no problem, because we've got shorts. Okay." <laughs> and They stretch. Okay, depending on your size, so we have small, medium, large, and extra large, and so we have shorts. So that doesn't count. Okay, we also have shirts. Okay, so uh, bam, you got shirts that you can change into. Not a problem. Okay, we've also uh, got uh, hairbrush. No, we don't. We don't have anything else. That's it. We just have we just have shorts and shirts. And so if you're worried about your clothing today, man, check that at the door. Check that at the door. What keeps you from being baptized today? What keeps you from, listen, some of you, what just keeps you from belief today? Today, listen, today across the world, literally billions of people will celebrate the power of the resurrection of this one man who it made no sense that his religion would blow up like this outside of it really happening. The savior of the world dies on Friday for the sins and forgiveness of mankind raises on Sunday to give us new life that will be represented through a moment of baptism. Last moment I want to share with you. On Friday, a lot of you guys, if you were there, we took a moment to write some, write, write some sin down, right? Write, write some stuff that was just heavy on our hearts, that weighed on us that we knew was destroying us, that type of stuff, right? Just that sin that so easily entangles and messes with us. We wrote it down on some fabric, and we had you guys bring these pieces of fabric to the front at the foot of the cross to say, man, I cannot fix this myself. I'm not good enough. I cannot achieve this. It's only by your grace that I'm saved, only by your grace and mercy I'm forgiven, and only by your grace and mercy that I can continue to look more like you. And so we laid these sins at the foot of the cross, and it was interesting and and (laughs) very I got home, and Verity was going to give me a hard time for this, but you, know, you guys didn't write your names on these, so it's not a big deal. But I, I opened up the trunk, and I wanted to kind of just read some of them just to see, man, what's, what are some of the sins that our, that our church, our congregation is struggling with? And it was amazing because as I started pulling them out, and we'll have these in the back, um, I began to look at these. And I don't know if you can tell from down there, but it was raining that night. And rain began to fall on these pieces of fabric and there is not a single one and I checked there is not a single one of these that you can still read that they've been washed as the rain came down as we were praising the reality that our Savior had gone to a cross to die to forgive us of this sin and this sin and these sins and on and on and on the rain poured down and washed that sin away forgiveness and i began to just i began to just cry as i thought about that reality that the cross sets us free and the rex- resurrection gives us new life what keeps you from being baptized today what keeps you from loving jesus today and then christian philip What keeps us? What keeps you? What keeps us as a church from moving on mission to the people around us that just need to know Jesus? Not that we have a bigger club but because this is the greatest story this world will ever hear. And if you're here, and you're a Philip, and you're a Christian, and you're storing that inside, I struggle to find how you believe in the power of the resurrection. We are moved to the nations. We are moved to the world. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and we're going to spend some time in silent reflection. We're going to spend some time just kind of thinking about the reality and the weight that Christ is risen. Like he's out of the grave. The tomb is empty. The man who was dead is now alive. And his power runs through the believer. Okay, all of that. I want you to reflect on that. And I want you to ask yourself the question. If you're here and you came in doubting, you came in not a Christian You came here, it's like, yeah, you kind of believe, but it's Easter, so you figured you'd show up. You came here just for no other reason than you wanted free lunch. But you had an encounter with Jesus. You heard something, and maybe you've heard this story 50 times from a bunch of different people, from a lot of pastors like me, and a lot of days like this. But for whatever reason, today God interrupted your story the same way he interrupted interrupted the eunuch. That was the day. Get baptized. What prevents you today? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. God, again, we we sit in 2014 and what do we know? God, we celebrate the fact that we do know that Friday you died, but today you're alive. The most powerful, life-altering, empowering miracle that you've ever done. God, that you defeated death when the world thought it was victorious in destroying you, when evil thought it was victorious in destroying you, God, you knew there was something coming. And so God, man, you are glorious. You are amazing. You are powerful. You are good. You are faithful. You are gracious. You are merciful. You are love. God, and thank you that you love us. God, that you love your creation, that you long for your creation to be drawn back to you, that you long for those who love you to proclaim it to the world. God, thank you for today and all, all the celebrations happening, not just across our city, but across our country, across our continent, our world, that are saying, thank you, God. Be glorified because you're alive, because you're risen, because you're good. Thank you for baptism. God, I pray for those right now, Lord, that, listen, they've they've just kind of gone back, is, do I believe, do I, God, save, move, stir. God, might today be the day of salvation. Might today be the day that people join your family. Might today be the day that many come to the water. God, to remember that they were once sinner, broken, dirty, that they are dunked, that they come up clean, refreshed, renewed, just as every fabric was erased on Friday. Thank you that you see my sin no more, even though it happens daily, through Jesus, Lord, thank you. God, move in our hearts, stir in us, save, baptize, and be glorified. It's your name we pray, amen.